Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Christopher Beekler. Hello from Providence, Rhode Island. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. It's SolderJS coming at you from sunny Provo. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's John Sanmez. John, do you want to say hi? Hey, what's going on? Now, do you want to remind people who you are? We haven't had John for a while. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. So I am the founder of Simple Programmer. So that company, I teach software developers soft skills. So anything that is not a technical skill, you know, that's what, what I focus on. And I'm an author of a couple of books on that topic, uh, Soft Skills, the what is it called? The Life Manual for Software Developers, and then The Complete Software Developer's Career Guide is my, my latest book, and that, that book is basically all about all the soft skills that you need to manage your career as a developer and to grow into that. But yeah, that's, that's what I started and in, in what I do, and I specialize especially in teaching people how to build personal brands and build businesses and, and market themselves as software developers. And then, you know, I also teach some personal development on, with an, another brand that I have on the side called Bulldog Mindset. So Nice. And uh, we talk regularly on entreprogrammers.com. So if people want to go check out what we've got going on there, they can do that. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. AJ had a question for you before we get started. I think it's an interesting look into where you are now, so. Sure. Oh, I heard something about you leaving software development from some video you made at some point, and I didn't watch like the next one to figure out what was going on, but it's like, are you even John anymore? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, no, I, I haven't been really like active as a, as a developer for, gosh, maybe it's been like four or five years. You know, I've played with a little bit of code here and there, but but yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's it's not something that I had planned or had would have expected, but I just found as I had built up Simple Programmer, more and more of my time was spent on running the business and entrepreneurial type of things. And then it became a lot of a focus on personal development since I'm teaching soft skills. And so I was doing less and less development stuff. So, uh, you know, although I still enjoy writing code, it's uh, it's definitely something that I haven't done in, in a while so yeah, it is kind of it is kind of weird to to make that transition. I guess you you always have like a different phase in life. You never know what it's going to be. So nice, yeah. I I know how that feels. I mean, I've been writing code this morning a little bit, but yeah, you know, not as much as I used to. So yeah, it's weird too. Like I think as a business owner too, especially when you're running multiple businesses as an entrepreneur, you kind of get to the point where it's like. There's a lot of things, in fact, that I would like to do that I don't get to do because it just doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense for me to sit down and write code. It doesn't even make sense for me to edit videos or any of that stuff that I actually used to enjoy doing. So you kind of hit the point where 
you pay people to do stuff that you normally would do and know how to do. And it, it feels a little bit weird, but you kind of have to because you know it, it's the right business choice. Yeah. So uh, do you want to give us just a little bit of an intro to uh, marketing yourself as a software developer? And yes, I said the M word, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, you know, what I would say is basically like, well, this is kind of how I got into this. And, and maybe that's a good, good intro to it is that, you know, I spent a lot of my career as a developer because I was a developer for 15 years. And, you know, I spent a lot of my career focusing on increasing my technical skills, right? Getting certifications, learning different programming languages, technologies, right? Really getting a lot of notches on my belt for, for my technical ability. And that got me pretty far, right? I became a senior developer, but I, I reached this really this glass ceiling where I really couldn't increase anymore. And then I started a blog called Simple Programmer that actually is 10 year. This will be the 10 year anniversary in November. And it was just a personal blog just to just to share my thoughts, really kind of to passive aggressively, you know, share things that were going on with my work environment to get it out like therapeutic and to, and to kind, of, kind of communicate with people. Sometimes when people read things on the internet and in writing, it, it has more authority than if you're actually there saying it to them. So plus they don't cut you off. So that's what I started doing. <laughs> Hang on, let me cut you off there. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so when I started doing that, you know, at first there wasn't anyone really reading it. And then I started to notice that I was getting some traffic from this. I was getting some comments, you know, different people. I was starting to build up local notoriety, right? In, in my area, I lived in Boise, Idaho at the time. And people started to know who I was there. They would read my blog. They heard about it. And I, around that same time, I got an interview on Scott Hanselman's podcast, which was a you know big deal at the time. In fact, at that time, there wasn't very many pod. It was like .NET Rocks and Hanselman. It's an... I don't, I don't know if there was anything else. There's like nothing, hardly at that time, except for maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There wasn't many though. Anyway, so what ended up happening was that I started to, to build up a little bit of a brand and reputation and I started getting all these opportunities, all these offers. I, got, I remember sitting at my desk one day and getting a phone call from a company that was local in Boise and they, they said, hey, you know, we'd like to offer you a job. And I was like, what are you talking about? Offer me a job? Like, you know, you want me to come in for an interview? And they're like, no, 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 we all read your blog and everything. And we just like to, you know, if you're interested in a job, uh, it's like, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. I've never been offered a job without an interview. And that's when it kind of started to really connect for me. I was like, okay, what I've done now is I've built a brand. I have a personal brand. People know my name. They know who I am, right? I've been on, I'd been on some podcasts and I started reading some more books on sales and marketing as I was trying to start to build the business out of Simple Programmer. And I realized how important branding and marketing yourself was. And I started getting all these opportunities. All of a sudden, you know, that glass ceiling I hit, I burst right through it. And I got the highest paying jobs I had ever gotten in my life, like well beyond what I should have been paid at that, at that time. And then I was also getting contracting jobs. I was doing some consulting at the time. And I remember initially billing like a hundred bucks an hour, which I thought was, was great, was amazing. And then I just kept on raising the rates because people were coming to me and asking me to do work for them. Eventually, I got to the point where I was billing over $300 an hour and I wasn't having to get the business myself. And so that's when I, it, I really connected to me. And that's kind of the, the, the idea is that like if you can market yourself as a, as a developer and build a personal brand, and really what it is, is it's about building a personal brand and building a reputation in the industry. So people know who you are. You've got 
you know, what, what I call inbound marketing. People are, are finding you somehow and, and recognizing you as an expert in some way. Then what ends up happening is that you get just a ridiculous amount of opportunities, whether you want to advance in your career and, and get, you know, high profile or better jobs, or if you want to be a consultant or freelancer and be able to bill high hourly rates and not have to do that whole grinding out and trying to find clients. So there's a lot of benefits. Plus, you know, also, you know, you could go down the road that I've gone down that you've gone down, Chuck, which is you can use that reputation. You can parlay that into an entrepreneurial business and and become a, a business owner and, and build products and, and whatnot based on that reputation and branding. So. Yep, absolutely. Now I know that uh, Chris and AJ, both of you have done consulting, right? Uh, that's correct. I'm doing some consulting right now. Right. True. I'm also curious if you've had anything like this payoff for like career jobs or for consulting gigs. I've had both and you know, I could talk about some of those experiences, but I'm curious about what your experience has been on some of this stuff. So I think uh, I don't have a super strong personal brand as a developer out on the web, but I do think I've developed sort of a brand within my network of people. And what that's allowed for me is that very rarely do I have to go looking very hard for, for work. If I need consulting work, an email or two usually suffices. And I've got people who are immediately interested in working with me, which is a really nice thing to have. As far as work coming to me, it does happen occasionally. Uh, it hasn't happened too frequently lately. Been focused more on developing my own business and not really actively seeking out the consulting stuff. I've just had one client. I've been working with them for a while. So if you're sending out the emails, is that uh, marketing and then selling yourself as a software developer? That seems like definitely part of it for sure. I, I think, you know, one thing that uh, I'm curious about, uh, and I'm sure John can speak to this, he used the term soft skills bef- uh, earlier. And, you know, I understand sort of the difference. The, the hard skills are the, the technology skills, the coding, the, the deployment, development, and everything. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the soft skills that you think are really valuable in terms of finding jobs or having, like you said, having the jobs come to you and how you highlight those? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, the number one biggest one is communication, right? Because if you look at it, if you're writing a blog, let's say if you're, you know, and that's a great way to, to market yourself, to build up a reputation, you need to be able to communicate your ideas effectively and clearly. If you're doing podcasts, like we're doing podcasts now, communicating is is going to be paramount because someone hears you on a podcast and they're like, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. They're smart. I can follow what they're saying. They're, they can articulate themselves well. It's going to make a, a huge difference. And you know, across any kind of medium, if you're doing YouTube videos or whatnot. But I'd say that's that's number one. And then I would say that another one is hard to kind of rank them in order, but persuasion is is also, and it's part of I suppose you could group that under communication, but to be persuasive or influential, right? Can you get people to do what you want? And that's, it kind of has a negative connotation, but realistically, that's what sales is. That's what we're doing. We're always selling ourselves our ideas. And it's very, very valuable as a software developer on a team to be able to influence and persuade people because you want to be able to communicate your ideas and to clearly demonstrate why they are the best ones or why that someone should follow you, then leadership is, is really important. The, the person that's most valuable on a software development team, in my opinion, is the person that makes other people more valuable. And that's usually going to require some kind of leadership or persuasion, influence type of skills. 
I'm trying to think of some other ones that would be would be effective there. You know, obviously, you know, again, it falls under communication, but writing, you know, copywriting even is is important. Like you said, Chuck, as you know, if you're if you're marketing yourself, if you're trying to sell yourself, and you're trying to advertise to clients, you need to. You, if you understand a little bit of the psychology of marketing, then you understand that you don't want to try and say this is what you want. You want to appeal to what is their pain. And how can you solve that pain for them? Why are you the solution for that? Why are you the best person to do that? You know, why do you understand their their problem and what kind of results are you going to give them? Show them that transformation. So that's a very valuable thing to know in order to to close deals, right? And, and the same thing, even just just closing skills, right? Sales salesmanship skills of being able to say, okay, you know, to move things forward, to negotiate is another one. I would say, especially when you're you're dealing with contracts and and fees and and setting your hourly rate. Uh, Trying to think of if there's some other ones I would put into there. I mean, you know, just general people skills, right? Uh, just communicating with people, being friendly, understanding, having you know some emotional mastery so that you can communicate effectively with people and get people to like you, right? I think having charisma is essential as well because in general, right, people flock to and especially hire people that they like, not necessarily the people that are most qualified. And, you know, I found in in interviewing and, and just talking with a lot of interviewers and a lot of the studies out there that what ends up happening is that psychologically, we hire who we think is the best technical person for the job. But realistically, what happens is if we like a person, we tend to give them better scores. We tend to oversee their shortcomings Whereas if we dislike a person, we tend to negate the the positive things. So it's really, really critical to be the kind of person that can actually go in a situation, can win people over, be like likable. And a lot of that is is a learned skill to, you know, really good book on that is actually Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, really old book, but has a lot of really effective things that you can do to make yourself become a more likable person you know just just some basic things like realizing that that people care about what they want and how you're going to be able to give it to them and and you know that when you provide people that uh, you know you you give them a feeling of importance then they're going to they're going to like you right whereas i think a lot of people try especially developers can come off very arrogant they try to prove how much they know how good they are and it's it's actually the the wrong approach, especially when you're dealing with someone else who's like that, because then you just get into a, basically a pissing uh, contest, and and it, it does not go well for you. So, I want to back up everything you said except one thing: the idea that people hire for technical skills is, as I talk to more and more people, is less and less true. Uh, right. Any more people are hiring for the people skills; they know they need those more than they need the technical skills. They're very aware that they can train those skills. You know, five years ago, it was a different story. You'd have to prove your tech chops or they wouldn't even give you a look. And nowadays, if you prove that you can pick it up and you prove that you're the kind of person they want on their team, they'll hire you. It's definitely an interesting change in in the industry over the last few years. So yeah, I mean, people talk about the soft skills being the, you know, kind of the other things that developers aren't necessarily good at. And a great book on this, you know, when we kind of talked about sales a little bit is to sell as human by uh, Daniel Pink. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting to me. In fact, my brother is finishing up his computer science degree from Western Governors University. 
And he was like, so what are the, what's the thing that I'm learning in school that I need to, you know, that, that's going to get me the furthest, you know, what, what are the, what are the things that they're teaching me that are going to, you know, do me well in my career? And, you know, and he's like getting ready to, you know, go find the textbook where they talk about it. And I looked at him and I said, your ability to work with people. Yeah. Because software these days is so complicated um, that you have to, you almost have to work in a team environment to some degree. And if you can't work with other people, they will not hire you. And if they do, they won't keep you. And right. so it's interesting, you know, Christopher asked about what soft skills do you need? And the answer is, is that these days you need those more than you need the technical skills. If you have a baseline technical knowledge and you're really good on the team, they'll hire you and train you. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that was kind of where I predicted things were, were going to go just based on, because what we have now is we have a global economy where we have a lot of highly skilled people that are really cheap labor, right? I mean, you can go and on Upwork and you can hire developers that are, are really good developers in India, in, in other places in the world, in third world countries for very oh, cheap. Big one. And the thing that they don't have is a lot of times the communication and, and people skills and so that's the only advantage that you have as a, as a developer is to be able to, to have those things over over them. So yeah, so very important to, to have that. And it, again, this is one of those things where it's like, in fact, if you read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the things that Dale Carnegie says in the book, and this is like what, this is like in the 1920s or so, is he talks about the idea that that technical skills are only 10% of, of any job, that 90% of it is, is, is the other. It is I, so true. And it, yep. yeah, it is. It's always been right. It's just a, you know, as developers, a lot of times I think we we don't realize that because there's so much focus on learning the new framework and and how good you are. Yep. I thought what you said about communications was really interesting and important. I think in my career over the years, one of the things I've tried to emphasize is like I'm perfectly comfortable talking to people in ad sales or people in the C-suite or business development. It's not just. I think it's crippling if the only people you can talk to are other developers you need mm -hmm. to be able to communicate with a yeah. with a broader array of of people than that yep so true you have to be able to relate to other people and, it, and it, again like i said it, it is one of those skills that is a trained skill it's not mm -hmm. something that you're necessarily born with and especially if you're a developer right if you look at the stereotypical you know not not every developer fits into the stereotype but enough of them do that you know i certainly did when i when i was growing up is I was kind of a, a loner, sort of, you know, picked on type of, you know, that's what I turned, why I turned to computers, right? A lot of didn't have, I didn't have the social skills that other kids my age had, right? I didn't develop. A lot of that's training too now, changing too now though. A lot oh. more people are coming in that are more socially savvy. You think so? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but that's, it's important, right? And it's, and you have to learn those things. Like you have to actually take an effort to, to learn that. Yeah. One thing that I'm curious about, you know, you, you kind of told your story and a lot of it's focused around content marketing, right? So you put out a lot of content, people were reading your blog, and so then they came and offered you jobs. If people aren't comfortable with it, or maybe they're just not comfortable with blogging, which is kind of where Simple Programmer went, are there other ways to do this that might be more natural to people? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just have to, in, in fact, you should probably eventually use multiple ways. But, you know, blogging obviously is is the one that, I recommend because it's such a low barrier to entry. Anyone can can write blog posts. You don't really have to put yourself out there as much, right? Because you're just an author behind a blog. But 
obviously what we're doing now, podcasting is a great one, either getting on someone else's podcast, which people are always looking to fill up slots on podcasts. If you're an expert yep. in a particular subject or you have a good idea, it's, it's amazing how easy it is. I think to get on a podcast that most people think, Oh, I couldn't be on that podcast. Well, yeah, you, you could, if you, if you just understand that what the podcast is trying to do, they're trying to, you know, entertain an audience, provide some value to an audience. If you can clearly communicate what value that you can provide, then yeah, then it's, it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot easier than you think. So that's, I think that's a great way. And it's yeah, we're, we're always looking just to back you up on that. I mean, yeah. we are always looking for great guests. Yeah. And sometimes it's the, Hey, you wrote this really terrific article about this really basic thing that we think people need to understand. And so you don't have to be the expert either. Exactly. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, and then, you know, you can always start your own podcast. It's not very hard to do today. It's the barrier to entry for that is, is very low. And there's always topics, right, that you can come up with. And even if, I mean, heck, we were just talking about an entrepreneur. In fact, we talk about this quite a bit, is that there's no Java podcasts. <laughs> it was like Java Posse, right? And then they're gone. And then we'll there's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, so you've got one in the works. But I'm just saying, like, even, I, I, I don't even have any qualms saying that knowing that it would compete with you if you're making a Java podcast because yeah. there needs to be more than one, right? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, anyone can step into these opportunities. There's tons of technologies that come out that there's no podcast. So there's, you know, yeah, there's, there's plenty of room to, to make podcasts. YouTube is a good one. That's what I did a lot with Simple Program. That's what I'm focusing on for my Bulldog Mindset brand now. And YouTube is one where you can show tutorials. So that's that's great. If you can get in front of the camera and show your personality, that's even better. That's really going to add to the charisma aspect of it. And it, it sort of has this sort of movie star aspect to it. Like if people see you and they know that you're a YouTuber, you're, you're kind of almost like famous. So you, you kind of, you know, there, there's a benefit to that. You know, speaking circuit is another one. It's a little harder to get in. Start with code camps, but then you can graduate to some of the the bigger, you know, events and whatnot. Especially if you have done some. A lot of podcasters actually end up running the the events as well. So or having connections. So that's a, a good way to get in there. Writing books is another one, right? It doesn't even have to be traditionally published. So there's plenty of opportunities to do that. You can self publish books and and build a name for yourself doing that. I'm trying to think of what can, other can ones. I throw in on the book too? Yeah, um, I'm seeing books now show up on Amazon that are like 20 or 30 pages, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, if it's if it's a reasonable treatment of a narrow topic, you can still put the book out there and be known as the expert for that thing, and you don't have to go write like a full length 100 200 page book. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you could do that for multiple topics, or you could pick a topic and you could slice it into 20 different questions or subtopics and write 20 little short books on that. And what's going to happen is that when people are searching on that topic or their, you know, whatever that niche is, they're going to find a lot of your books, and then they're going to say, "Oh, wow, this guy must be the guy for for this, right?" So, so yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different medium. You just have to have some way to communicate. In fact, there's some people that are famous on Instagram now as developers that have made you know parody Instagram accounts. That's funny, or or even serious ones. Twitter, you know, I suppose that's probably not the, not as good as it as it was, but there's people that are successful there. There's definitely famous Twitter accounts for for programmers or programmer related. So yeah, so you just have to pick really some medium and get out there so that you can build some kind of a reputation and brand, and then eventually, you know, you can expand to to multiple ones. But but the key thing 
about all of this. And I used to say that you should pick a really small niche, but now I say you should pick something that you can be number one best in the world at. And that seems like a pretty tall order, but you just have to slice things thin enough and anyone can be number one best in the world at, at a particular thing, right? You know, the, the, the bigger of the thing that you can be the king of, the more fame and more reputi- reputi- uh, reputation that you'll have. But you can start with a very small thing, right? And, and sometimes, you know, the one good example I, I love to use, even though it doesn't exist anymore, but it was just such a good one, was there used to be this, uh, this person, she used to, I forget what her name was, but she used to call herself Data Grid Girl, and she had like this, you know, datagridgirl.com or, or whatever. I remember, you know, whenever I had some kind of question when I was doing ASP.net and, and doing datagrid stuff, it would always come up on her blog. And I was like, this is so genius because it's such a specialized type of thing, right? She is, you know, she sliced it down so, so narrowly that she can be number one best in the world. I mean, this is one specific control in ASP.net but she's the expert on it, right? So think about it. Like if you're a data grid girl and you're the expert on data grids, right? And you're writing all this content on this, then if you go and you try to submit for a conference, how easy is it to get in? Because it's like, oh, well, I'm the expert. I'm the best there is. And that like, and people know who you are, number one in the world at this particular thing. Okay, maybe it's not the most glorious thing, but think about that. If you want to write a book, Right? Who are they going to select to write the book on data grids? Oh, it's going to be someone who's the number one expert, you know, on that. So the key thing is is just to pick something narrow enough that you can be the number. And you don't have to be number one best in the world right now. It just has to be something that you can become. And if you slice it thin enough, there there's always a way to to narrow that that down to find that specific problem that you are going to become the expert. Every every single PhD student has to do this, by the way. Right? They have to figure out. You know, the whole premise of getting your PhD is that you've got this bubble of knowledge, right? And then you have to find somewhere, some the edge of that bubble of knowledge, and you have to expand it out just a little bit. You have to go deeper than anyone else has ever gone on this topic. Just expand that knowledge just a tiny bit. And it's the same thing here. You just have to figure out something. There's this bubble of knowledge of, of software development, right? What's what's You don't even have to expand the bubble. You just have to pick a really, really small spot in that bubble that you're going to give the most detailed information on and that you're going to be the expert on. That speaks also to what you were saying before about consulting opportunities, finding you like, I imagine Data Grid Girl did not have any trouble finding consulting work if she wanted right. it because I'm sure there were tons of people using that specific control who would be happy to employ her. Exactly. And, and when people, you know, one good example I always use for that, for the specialization and niching down is let's suppose that you got, you got accused of murder. Okay. Now there's a lot of lawyers out there, right? And you could just pick up the phone book and just start calling. There's some general purpose lawyers out there that, that handle, you know, a bunch of things. But if you get accused of murder, if your life is on the line, are you going to go and you're going to hire, you know, some lawyer that does divorce law, tax law, criminal law, right? Has has all of these little things, right? That that's equivalent to the developer saying, "Oh yeah, I know C# sharp and Java and .net and and C++ and listing all this stuff instead of specializing." Are you going to hire that lawyer? Okay? Or are you going to hire a lawyer that says, "All I do, the only thing I do is I specialize in false murder accusation charges. I will get you off. I have the track record of do it. That's my expertise. I am the person you call when you've been wrongly accused of murder. That's the guy you're going to hire. And his bill rate is going to be a lot higher as well. 
And that's, it's the same thing in software development. It's like, you know, everyone wants a MacGyver, but no one wants to hire a MacGyver, right? They want you to be a MacGyver when you're on the job, but no one actually looks, because no one believes about that, that someone is actually a MacGyver. So it's better to specialize, to niche down, to pick a very specific set of skills and to say, I'm the best. I'm the number one best in the world at this thing. And when you can say that too, when you can confidently say that, your pitch is so much better, right? Because you know you're secure in your place. And then that's, you know, what's, what's key is you have to be able to convince other people, right, that to hire you, not, you know, they're not just going to look at you on your merits and say, oh, well, you know, this person looks like they're really good. And, you know, you're, you're never going to, and that's the other, you know, piece of it, I think, is that a lot of developers, one of the biggest things that I, I work with, with with my coaching clients is they think that if they're really, really good and really talented and, and just do a great job, that someone's going to pick up and notice them and that somehow some magical opportunity is going to come that, you know, someone from Microsoft is going to say, well, I've noticed that, you know, you're just such a good worker, but that's not going to happen. You, none of that stuff is going to happen in, unless you actually actively market yourself and put yourself out there so that people can discover you, right? You have to be good technically, but being the best in the world, if you, you could be the best developer in the world, like, a, like just a, a, a genius, better than anyone else, and in your basement coding up, you know, magnificent, a software and you know phenomenal algorithms, but if no one knows it, it doesn't matter. I've found that what's gotten me the, the most traction has often been the things that are the most obvious. And like, for example, I had a tutorial on how to install Ruby on Ubuntu. And Ruby at the time with RVM, it was the transition between Ruby 1.8, 1.9, and 2.0. It was during that era. And so installing Ruby was a pain in the butt. And so I just came up with a blog that was like, here's the five commands you need to run and the two things that you need to know about each command. And that got me a lot of notoriety. I would be at a, a meetup and somebody would be like, oh, I read your, your blog. I, I know who you are. I read your blog article on installing Ruby because Ruby was really popular in Utah at the time. And likewise, um, I mentioned on the show before, I've got some like just stupid NPM modules that are like LeftPad, right? <laughs> but they are what get me 90% of my NPM download count, if not more than that, is from like these stupid modules that like I wish people would just copy and paste instead of including them as a dependency. But that actually is what built it up. So the stuff that I've done where it's really focused on a, on a really challenging technical task that isn't well understood. I've gotten people that contact me for contracting work about that, but it's not made me popular. It's been, somebody has been searching for something super specific, like what you just said, but the things that have, have increased my popularity with my blog and NPM and like different software projects I've done have often been just really really simple things that you think anybody could do this. Like you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have a huge depth of knowledge. It's just, this was difficult, but after somebody figured it out, it was so easy that they forgot to go back and say how they did it type stuff. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. The way I look at it is there's sort of a spectrum of, you know, the, the more widely applicable stuff there's two things with it, right? So one of it is that it doesn't have as much value when you get traffic or, or eyes from there. It, it may build your reputation, but it doesn't have as much intrinsic value, right? Someone's not going to hire you $500 an hour because you showed them how to install Ruby 
right? So it's not as, as specific. And then oh, it's also you'd be surprised. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. not five hundred dollars an hour now. But it's going to be like um, it's what what I'd say is that it's not as valuable in terms of the type of people that you would get a response from if you were you know if you're writing a blog post about some very technical, very specific, advanced level level thing like the people that are going to respond to that and contact you are probably going to are going to be of higher caliber more more of the the people that you want but but there's a balance right because like you said it's like you know when you do the kind of broader kind of more basic content you have more people you're getting more exposure but you also have more competition as well that's the other thing if you have a name already and you have somewhat of a reputation or your blog is ranked high in google then you can win out in in something more general that's going to get broader traffic, right? Whereas someone just starting out, even if they read, wrote the same blog post that you wrote without any kind of domain authority on their blog, they probably wouldn't have the success as you do. But then, you know, as the, you've got a band though, so so you've got some of your content that's like that. But then, as you go and you become more and more focused, yes, you appeal to you. Have, you have a smaller pond, right? So there's less people that are searching for it. There's less people that you're going to appeal to, but those people that you hit with something very, very specific, you're going to hit them more directly. They're going to know who you are and remember who you are a little bit more and probably going to be more valuable. So so there's sort of a spectrum on it. I usually recommend for developers first starting out to start out in the smallest pond possible and to build expertise up in there so that because that's your highest chance of having success and building exposure. And then you can kind of work in concentric rings outward in order to develop a wider and general re- reputation. So, you know, a good example would be, you know, famous developers like Bob Martin, right? Like Uncle Bob, right? Almost everyone knows who he is. But if you were to say, well, what is his specialty? Uh, there's not really like, you, you know, he doesn't really have a very specific specialty, but he did. He did. When he started out, you know, he was telling me about how he was writing articles for C++ in, or actually, I think it was on the forums, and he was writing these really in-depth, detailed articles on on the intricacies of C++. So he had this kind of expertise, he had this reputation, which which built his reputation, which allowed him to to leapfrog that. So, so it really depends on on where you at, you know, and in, in what kind of traffic that you want. But I would say that, yeah, you're right. I mean, definitely creating broader content is going to have a broader appeal to to the audience, but there's a certain, you know, to play in that pond, you have to have something that's going to allow you to compete there. Whereas I think most developers starting out, it's like, eh, if they don't have any kind of reputation, don't have any kind of blog authority, domain authority on their blog, it's, it's a lot harder for them to, to do that. But, but again, you know, one aspect of it too, I think that, that, that may have helped you as well, is the idea that you took something that is relatively simple, but you simplified it down to the point where it was just like, like you said, all these other people had figured this out, but no one had written down the basic simple steps that were required to do this. So when someone sees some elegance and simplicity and you know, so you, you have the ability to take something that and, and simplify it down, then that has a, a huge value. And that's something you could even be known for, right? When I started out actually with Simple Programmer, the whole theme of the blog was take the complex and make it simple. And that was kind of the focus was, okay, I take all these complicated subjects like polymorphism, I explain to you simply. I take design patterns and simplify them for you. And so that was, you know, another niche to carve out. But So one thing that I try to do in terms of simplicity, which I, I don't know that I always succeed at, but I always try to have a TLDR 
at the top of my blog post, which is like, mm. here's the thing that you probably want. That's the six lines you need to copy and paste. And then below that, I go into the explanation of like how I did it. And I'll mention like error messages and da, 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 da. And I think that what drives a lot of the traffic is I write these posts that no one ever reads. They're really just for me. It's like, it's more like an ex a creative expression of like, I like to retell the story of how I did something. Probably no one ever reads that. And then I sum it up with the TLDR. And I think a lot of the traffic comes in through the keywords that are in the very organic, natural telling of this is how I encountered this problem and how I solved it. And then what gets people linking to it or, you know, gets it reposted on Stack Overflow or whatever is, probably the TLDR part. And I, I find that today, in today's world now, I'm trying to get my blog back up again, but there were several years where I wasn't really doing it. And the world's completely different now with Medium and all these centralized platforms, GitHub. It's really, really hard to get any search engine optimization because it all goes to like five top sites and it, it hardly goes anywhere else. So you have to go... I mean, hopefully you just do this naturally anyway, because you were over on Stack Overflow. Somebody had a partial answer. When you're done writing your, your content, go back to that partial answer and say, hey, I figured out the next piece and here it is. Link back to yourself. Thing, and, and same thing like on Medium, if you're reading an article, you know, and you figure out how to do more or better or whatever, go back and say, yeah, and if you need to do this, here's how and here's the link to it. And that'll bring some stuff over too, but it, you definitely have to engage with the centralized platforms, which is terrible because they have, they give you no brand value, but you have to engage with them in order to somehow get that traffic back to you. Cause Google's not going to find you otherwise. Yeah. It, it depends. It's definitely changed. I would say like what I usually advise people is like, if you're going to do on medium or something right on your blog first and then repost a medium or post a, you know, a portion of it or something like that, you know, and, and it depends. When you're starting out, obviously, you've got to get some traffic to your blog and putting something like in a core answer or Stack Overflow answer can help a lot. But it's not a long-term plan for, for building up traffic. Like long-term to build traffic to your blog, you need SEO. You need, And realistically, also, it's a matter of who do you want, right? So that's why, again, if you niche down very specifically, if you're expert, if you become number one best in the world at a specific thing, and you're very specific about what you talk about, right? You know, the example of Data Grid Girl from my, she's probably like, this guy always uses my, my, <laughs> uses my, uses me as an example. I've never even met this guy, you know, but I just love that example so much. But my point is, is that if you have a very specific niche, if you're very, very specific, yes, you're not going to get a huge amount of search volume, but the people that find you in that specific space are going to know who you are because they're going to come across your website multiple times because every time that they're, you know, have their really difficult, difficult and hibernate question, they're like, I keep on finding the same blog. I keep on finding this guy. In fact, I listened to a podcast on and hibernate and, and here he was or what, you know, whatever the technology specific thing is. And so that's, that's what I found is that like, it's, you don't necessarily have to build a huge widespread reputation, but if you can build your reputation within that particular pond that you're serving that market and build up a name there, that's what's going to be critical because that's what's going to, you know, those developers that are working at whatever, you know, big tech company you want to work at, 
that are using that technology, if they know who you are, if they've read your blog, wow, you're going to have an in there, right? You know, at the conferences that you want to speak at, if you want to go to a publisher and write a book, if you, you want specific consulting jobs that are going to pay really high hourly rates, you know, having that reputation, having that name in that specific thing, even though, you know, general software development field might not know who you are, that's what's key. And that's, that's really what, what I would try to focus on more than anything else, because it's one thing to, you know, be internet famous, but what value does that bring you, right? It, it's better to be famous within a very small, specific circle and have a huge value there. Yeah, the, I think the point that you're both making is that, yeah, in order to get noticed, I guess you need to get people to your content. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, John, I agree. The, lo- the long-term play is to get SEO, right? To show up in those Google rankings and get the re- referrals. But typically you need like some domain reputation and a few other things going for you before you can really get there. And so I wonder if that's kind of where uh, AJ is coming from saying, look, if you're brand new, you don't have the domain reputation. You don't have a lot of people coming to your site right now. Is it worth then playing the game on the social media platforms and posting them to Facebook or Reddit or wherever people are gathered and say, you know, hey, I just wrote this or hey, this answers your question or something like that, just to kind of boost that initially? Or should all of your effort be focused around things like SEO? I would personally, I mean, I think you can do a little bit of that stuff, but I I found that like if I were starting out today and just creating a technical blog and trying to build my reputation and brand, whether it be on YouTube or the blog, I would answer very, very specific technical questions in my expertise. Because the thing is, like, if you answer a very, very specific thing, even though you might not have very much SEO juice, everyone's searching, like, it's going to pop up because no one else has answered that. When When your blog post title or YouTube video title exactly matches the question that someone types into Google, it doesn't matter if you have domain authority at that point. I mean, it matters mm-hmm. to some degree, but yeah. for the most part, and that's how you get started is because now you're going to get some traffic from that. Whereas, and then you can start writing more general stuff once you start to get the domain authority and you can rank for those things. And, you know, along with that strategy, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what AJ was saying about, you know, taking some of those questions and putting them like, that's a great thing. If you answer something very, very specific to put that to look for that in Stack Overflow and answer it there and say, oh, and give it like a short answer, like a TLDR, and then say, and I wrote an in-depth answer here. That's a great strategy. Same thing on, on Quora and, and, and some of those other sites. It's just that, you know, you have to be careful because the return on, on investment in, in some of that is not, not so great, right? It's really hard to get something going on Reddit. I mean, if, if you write like a phenomenal post that is super detailed and long and is super valuable, then yeah, you've got a, a better chance of, of getting it. But I, I see a lot of developers that like they try and with their blogs, they try to write all these posts and they try to like post them everywhere and to you get them on Reddit and and they and Hacker News and they it just never goes anywhere because they right. end up wasting a lot of time doing that. So so to clarify a little bit, what I'm talking about is I think there's there's value in you know you solve your own problems and you share with other people along the way. Like I didn't I didn't say you need to go on Stack Overflow and go find all these things related to what you posted about. I said as you are searching yourself, you're going to find incomplete answers and you go back and share with the community. 
So I, I don't disagree at all about the approach that you're talking about. I'm just saying that the perspective I, I'm coming from is more from like, I'm going to write these blog posts anyway. And here's some things I notice when I see traction comes through, it seems to be associated with this or that, right? Yeah. Like there's a blog post I wrote about ASN1, which in, is incredibly specific. Like it's an old... It's, it's like a XML, binary XML type of thing that uh, certificates for SSL and whatnot are in. And I, I wrote that on my own blog and then I was curious and I posted it to Medium and it seems like it actually ended up, like the, the posting it to Medium was a boost to its searchability and findability even though the keywords are actually pretty specific because it's not something many people do. In terms of attacking it as like, I want to create a business around the blog, I think that your advice is probably spot on because you've got the experience from it. I, I haven't really tried to make a business out of my blog per se. I've enjoyed writing and I've tried to find ways to reach and help people. And I found that it does draw exactly like you said, the most specific topics are what draw consulting opportunities to me. But, you know, the, the ego boosters that make me feel like, okay, I'm kind of cool. Like people kind of know me have been for more simple things. Like no one's ever come up to me and been like, oh, you're the guy who wrote that ASN1 blog, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't get that when I go to meetups or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's for stuff that I've done that's more general that's gotten me uh, loose. What would it, the, the weak ties in the community have come from the more popular things that, the money from people that are specifically looking to hire someone for a specific tasks have come from the low traffic niche type of content. So I, yeah. I think I 100% agree with you. Yeah. And to your point, as far as posting, yeah. So if you're cross posting to multiple sites, there's a meta tag that you can add because you can also like cross post to dev.2, which is another website that gets a lot of traffic and has a large community to it. You can set the canonical URL meta tag. And then it'll point back to the original article. And that way you get the SEO juice back to the original article, even though some people are linking to Dev2 and some people are linking to Medium and some people are linking to the original post. Google is good at aggregating that together so you get the, the quality out of all of it. So one thing that I'm wondering, John, is you know we've talked a lot about putting the content out there. So things like the podcast maybe, or you're doing a blog or you're doing YouTube or you're writing books or you're getting out there and speaking at conferences, how do you get that to start coming back to you? Because it seems like under certain circumstances, people are just going to show up, read it and leave. So how, how do you make that turn into the personal brand or the, you know, help people get awareness that, hey, if you call this number, they're probably going to say yes, if you try and hire them. How do you put that together for people so that, you know, once your marketing is working, they have somewhere to go to get a hold of you? There's a couple of things I would say. I mean, the, the number one one is to focus on actually building a brand like a regular brand, which involves a few components. One is having a consistent message. So when people see your stuff, it, it comes across in the same way. You have the, the same message. I am the number one best in the world at X. That's, that's what I'm working on, right? You don't have to use that title, but you, you need to indicate that what is your specialty so that the message is clear. The branding itself needs to be clear from the logos to the colors to the color schemes that you use and the headshots that you use if you're branding yourself personally, right? So that, and then when you have all of that, then it's repeated exposure, right? It takes about six to seven times for exposure for someone to recognize 
a brand. So you want to create enough repeated exposure so that people will see that and then recognize you, right? If you just, if they come across your blog one time, they're not going to know who you are. Okay. If they hear you on a podcast once, it's not going to, it's not going to matter. But if they come across your blog a couple of times, if they hear you on this podcast, if they see that you're speaking at this event, if they search YouTube and you're on there, right. And you know, they, they come across your branding several different times, then they're going to start to think of you as a brand, right? That, that's, that's when, and it does, it does take that repeated exposure. So that's why it's critical to put out a lot of content and to have multiple exposures for people to, to know who you are, to actually build a reputation type of brand. Now, aside from that, there's the side of lead capture, which, which we do through email, right? One of the best ways is to just put a little pop-up on your blog where you capture someone's email, where you offer them something, and then you can actually stay in touch with people who might have visited your blog once, and you can build the branding from that by sending them more content, by sending them some other stuff that, that you're working on. So that's the more like guaranteed way to, to sort of build that. But you know, I'd, I'd caution against, you know, that's something that we do definitely more so on the entrepreneurial side on building a business because we're going to, we don't expect people to come back multiple times and, and we're going to basically eventually sell something to them or, or, you know, make them into fans by, by that, that process. But in general, like as, as a, the general developer trying to mark themselves, I think it's more important to have the actual brand recognition, right? So that people know who you are when they hear your name, when they see you in the software development field, especially in your niche, because that's going to help you more so with jobs, right? I mean, if you think about it, if someone visits your blog and you capture their email address by offering them something and then you send them emails and you know they, they, they get to know who you are, it's not necessarily the thing that is going to get you a job if you're looking for a job, but it might get you a consulting gig. But you know, the, the people that are looking that, that are coming to your blog in, in that case are a lot of times developers that have questions that are you're helping them, right? Which is good, right? Again, you could build a business off of that. But by reputation, people know you and hire you, right? So for example, you know, and I get this all the time with with marketing yourself, especially with building a blog, is people always ask, well, I don't understand because developers come to your blog. They're they're not the people that are hiring or, or they're not the people that are going to like hire you for a job or the ones that are going to pay you to do consulting, they're already developers and you're helping them with their technical problem. But what ends up happening is that when you have a reputation among developers and you build up that reputation in that specific industry, they report to managers. And when the development manager is looking to hire for a position or looking for an expert to do some consulting or do some training at the company, he or she is going to ask the developers and the, and those developers are going to talk about the people that they know by name. And especially if you have built a reputation and you're somewhat quote famous in that circle, they're going to be like, Oh, we should, we should get so-and-so to, to come. We should get, you know, hire so-and-so and they're going to be excited about that. So that's, that's sort of how that works. And that works, like I said, more in the brand exposure and reputation, right? If, if you are, you know, semi-famous within your circle, that, kind of recommendation engine is going to happen a lot more often, right? Than rather than just trying to capture leads. Well, and you only have to be famous to enough of the right people that are going to be in that position to recommend you, right? So, right. you know, famous is relative, you know, if, if they think you're famous, you know, and you've got a couple of them and, you know, the, the, 
that you have a good reputation with them, then they'll recommend you. One other thing that I'll just add is that when I was uh, consulting back in the day, I'd go on JavaScript Jabber, Ruby Rogues, and I would just mention, hey, I've got a break coming up. You know, the contract is ending or something. And I would get a couple of phone calls within that week when it released. And so you can actually, you know, you don't have to go out there and kind of edge up to the line of, gee, I'd really like a new job. Just come out and say it. And the people who want you will come and find you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's something you can use if you have any kind of medium that you, you know, if you, whether you have a blog or a podcast or YouTube channel, at any time you can make an announcement and you can say, I'm looking for work, I'm looking for it. Yep. And you're going to get, you know, a certain number of, of bytes from that. So that's, that's another advantage of that. Yep. And then I'm just going to throw in here. I've also, you know, written a book. I'm getting ready to launch it. You know, it's, it's on finding a job and it goes into all of the other stuff as far as targeting people and getting to know people. And, you know, if, if you're out there at the users groups and you're out there getting to know people and things like that, it's kind of a more one-on-one way to build your brand. Mm-hmm. But if you know that those are the people who are going to get you what you want, then that's also a very effective way to do it. And the thing that I find is really interesting about a lot of these techniques that John's brought up, especially, is that most people aren't willing to do it. And that's why it stands out. That's why it's so effective. If everyone were doing it, then I guess we'd have more information to sift people around on. But the the fact that not a lot of people are out there doing it, it really presents you with an opportunity to stand out because you are doing it. I think so many developers have an immediate aversion to anything that, you know, you called it the M word earlier, like marketing in general. And awful lot of developers just immediately shut off at that point. I think there's this belief that marketing is always trying to sell something people don't need to people who don't really want it. And that's not accurate. You know, if you have something people want, which in this case is your technical skills, you absolutely should be marketing it. You should be selling it to people so that they know that it's available because they want to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. The best example I I use for this is, let's say a book series, like, you know, if you have a book author that you follow that you, you love their book series or maybe a video game series or something like that. And, you know, I, I've been in the situation where I'm browsing and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that Ryan Holiday put out a new book. What the heck? Like, and, and you're like, you're like, I, I want to buy that right now. I'm pre-ordering that thing. And, and you're like, I, I wish someone would have told me. I, w- I wish someone would have, like, I should have gotten an email or something, right? And that's how it is with a, with a, lot, of, a, a lot of people, right? If you have something that someone wants, it's actually they want to know that you have it. They want to hear about it. They're excited. You know, yes, we get a lot of spam emails and we're like, oh, you know, stop wasting my time. But if you get an email from a book author of a series that you've been following religiously, you want all the news you can find out about that. Send me more marketing emails. Send me a video that shows me, you know, what when the you know book trailer or whatever it is. Like you you want all that stuff. And so that's you know, that's what I think a lot of people forget about about marketing and and it's it's one of those things like it's like you know it's the same thing with branding is it's like you're going to do it one way or or the other like you're going to have a brand right whether you have a brand in in an image more specifically that you control or not is going to be up to you but people are going to know who you are at least in in your local environment right you're going to be known for something people are going to have a nickname for you they're going to think of you in some way it's better to control that image better to control that brand and to control the marketing around yourself you know because you have to do it anywhere right anytime you go to a job interview you're going to be selling yourself 
you don't show up to a job interview and like, and they're like, oh, why do you think you're the best candidate for the job? And you're like, eh, uh, well, you know, I, I'm, I might, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm the best, but you know, like I know C sharp and I, I think I'm pretty good. You're like, that's it. <laughs> you're done. You're not, that's, you're not getting the job when you do that. Right. You got to sell yourself. You got to market. Yourself. You just can do it in a good way, in a tasteful way. And that's, that's the thing is like, you're going to be marketing yourself. You're going to be selling yourself. The question is, have you actually learned how to do it effectively and appropriately? And if you haven't, then you're going to be doing it the wrong way and you're not even going to know what mistakes you're making. Yep. So we've been talking for about an hour and that's usually about the length of the show. But you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, John and I talk a lot. And so I'm pretty familiar with, he, with what he's done and what he's got out there. And John, I know you have a course on marketing yourself as a software developer. And I want to make sure that people know about it because we just can't cover everything in an hour that they're going to need. And so I think this is a great opportunity for people to know about, you know, kind of the next steps that they can take and go find those resources. So do you want to just give us like a, a two minute explanation of what the, the course is and how people can get it? Sure. Yeah. So I guess we'll put a link probably in the show notes, right? For, for the course, it's called how to market yourself as a software developer. And it basically will show you exactly how to do what we've been talking about here, right? If you're starting off and you want to build a brand and build a reputation. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, right? It could be that you just want to be able to get more opportunities to get a better job. Maybe you want to get a job at one of the big five tech companies, or maybe you want to get some consulting work or something like that. You know, it, it just shows you basically how to f- think about building specifically your brand. What is your brand? How to niche down and specialize specifically. And then if you wanted to get started, how do you do that? You know, how do you get blog a blog set up and, and write blog posts is where where I usually have developers start because it's it's the lowest barrier to entry. But yeah, it walks through all of that and gives you some guides and some guides to social media as well and, and how you can spread your message on there and, and kind of build up that influence. Nice. All right. Well, we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for that. And I'll see if I can uh, get some kind of shortened URL off of uh, devchat.tv that we can share. But I just moved the site over and I'm not sure exactly how to do that with the new system. So, and John, if people want to follow you online, where do they go? So I would say, I mean, if you want to follow me specifically, like me, then go to YouTube or bulldogmindset.com because that's where I'm most active right now. You can just go there and you'll find the YouTube and everything. Uh, you know, if you're if you're interested more in the soft skills type of stuff, uh, programming related stuff, the best place to go is simpleprogrammer.com. Awesome. Hey, folks, I'm super excited to be meeting up with you at RxJS Live. Now, if you're wondering what RxJS Live is, you ought to check it out. It's at rxjs.live. RxJS is the observable library that is changing the way people write asynchronous code. If you're using it, you know what I'm talking about, and if not, you really should try it. Of course, now it has its own conference, and I'm going because I love hearing from geniuses like Ben Lesh from the core team, Jay Phelps, author of Redux Observable, and one of my JS heroes, Matt Podwysocki. If you're one of those people who keeps asking me, how do I stay current, this is the conference for you about JavaScript. A lot of modern languages and libraries are built on observables, plus using them is like discovering power tools after building a ton of stuff by hand. This is the don't miss event. Register at rxjs.live and then come find me at the conference and say hello. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Christopher, you have some picks for us? Uh, Sure, I've got just one today. It's a kind of an exotic pick. I just got back from a few weeks in France uh, where my wife is from, but we chose to visit a couple of different places that we hadn't been before, one of which was Strasbourg, which is over on the uh, 
eastern side of the country in Alsace, and it's amazing. So I recommend it highly uh, if you happen to be traveling in Europe and want to see a place that can be pretty touristy, but also that has just a really incredible amount of charm. It's a beautiful part of the country. Visit the city, and if you can, do what we did and rent a car and go driving around, and there's castles up in the mountains and everything. It's it's incredible. The one thing I do not recommend is going there when it's 104 degrees out, which we managed to do which is very rare in France, but we, of course, showed up right at the exact time for that to happen. So that's my pick, Strasbourg, France, Alsace. It's fantastic. Nice. I was watching the World Cup, uh, Women's World Cup, which was played in France. And yeah, some of those matches were, they were in the middle of the day. It was like 95 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it 50, got 60, really bad. 90% humidity. It was, it was ugly. So yeah. AJ, what are your picks? So in terms of music, I think I've already picked Distant Worlds, but I'm going to pick Distant Worlds again. It's the orchestrated Final Fantasy series soundtracks. So there's five of them now. I think I did, I think I did pick it because the new one just came out. I'm also going to pick Parallels. I don't know if it's really you know, the best versus the Fusion or Virtual Box. But somehow they suckered me in, and uh, I've been using it, and I do appreciate that it works, and that I'm able to, to do what I need to do. I had a little bit of trouble figuring out some of the keyboard binding things, but that's probably because between running a better touch tool and having the Dvorak keyboard and having like all these key swap customizations in the first place, something's not translating quite right. But what I use it for is trying to make sure that stuff runs on Windows. Because although typically we as developers don't use Windows, Windows is the largest you know, operating system platform worldwide. And you know, when you're using Node, most of the time, your stuff's going to work on Windows just fine. If you're doing JavaScript in the browser, you know, if it works in Chrome, it's going to work in Edge now as well. But if you want to do something where you are, you know, say you have an Electron app or anything that's going to have to interact with the desktop, Windows is just different. It's different in every way. How you kill a process is different. How you start a process is different. How you hide or show a window is different. Like everything's different about it. And so being able to actually test stuff on Windows to see, and then sometimes you have issues where the, the something in the network stack might behave differently or the CLI, the CLI definitely behaves differently. So it's just nice to be able to test it and have a sense of confidence, like, okay, I know when I publish this, the people that, I'm, that are on Windows are going to be able to use it too. So that's why I'm, I'm happy with, with Parallels. And I guess I might as well give a shout out for Windows 10 to finally including SSH by default. Good move, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to shout out a couple of things. I really do want to call out the uh, To Sell This Human book. I think it's terrific. Also, How to Win Fl- Friends and Influence People, also a ter- terrific book. Both of those are just great. And I just want to harken back to that idea that, you know, it's, it's people, you know, anymore. It's, you know, how well you can contribute to your team, not necessarily how fancy you can get with your code. And then one other thing that I want to shout out about. So I've been working on this system called PodWrench. I mentioned it a few times on the show before. But one thing that I've run into, and we've talked about this on Entreprogrammers, so you can go get a whole lot more context on this if you want uh, by checking out that podcast. But I don't trust the stats that I'm getting anymore from the company that I have tracking that stuff. And so I decided to go ahead and build my own stat system as part of PodWrench. And I've been playing with Azure Functions, which is a Microsoft cloud product. And 
it's been surprisingly easy. Like I, I keep having to, the, the documentation is not the best and I keep having to kind of muddle my way through things, but I've only put in like three or four hours on this thing and I'm pretty much ready to start switching all of my uh, numbers tracking stuff over. So I'm really digging it. The Visual Studio Code Azure Functions extension and the Cosmos DB or Azure, I think there's an Azure and an Azure Functions, um, both uh, extensions. And uh, yeah, so I'm just, you know, putting all the information into Cosmos DB. So it's all just being stored up in the cloud. It works pretty seamlessly to get it all together and get it deployed. It did take a little bit of fiddling, like I said, but yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying that aspect of things. And as I talk to more and more people about uh, kind of the state of uh, app deployments and DevOps, I think this cloud native thing is really starting to make inroads on kind of our traditional idea of DevOps. And so it's been interesting to kind of see where that's heading, especially with serverless and things like that. So I'm going to shout it out about Azure Functions and Cosmos DB. John, do you have some picks for us? Uh, Yeah, let me see here. So I got this book called The Little Book of Stoicism from one of actually someone in my audience who was subscribed to my YouTube channel and sent me a copy of this book. I don't know. I get a lot of, yeah, I'll read my book here. I'll send you a free copy of book stuff. But this one really appealed to me and was really good. It's kind of the book on Stoicism and Stoic philosophy that I wanted to write because it, it details it like in very specific detail of the Stoic practices. It's like he's compiled everything together of all of the main concepts and how to put them into practice. And so there's like all these different rules there, like kind of maxims, I would say that it's really hard to like when you're studying Stoic philosophy to find stuff. I mean, there's a lot of good wisdom out there, but there's not really an organized canon of it, I'd say. And he's done a pretty good job of doing that. So the little book of Stoicism, so I'd say. And then... Let me see what else I had. So the only other thing that I've been really, I was trying to think of what what else is I've been using some software for my running called Training Peaks. And I like it. It's really cool because what it does is you can buy training programs and have them in there automatically. So it'll email you and you've got the app and it tells you exactly what to run and it tracks all your stuff like from your Garmin. But it also has this dashboard view where you can see like your level of fitness and against your fatigue. And so you're, you can determine what your readiness is and how much you're improving your fitness when you go on runs. And so you can see where that level is over time, which is, is pretty useful to see, you know, when you're ready for a race and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a really good tool, especially for training for a marathon. So do you not have a coach anymore? Cause I know you I, had a coach for a while. Yeah, I, d- I don't have one right now for this marathon because I've had stopped running for three months. And mm-hmm. so my I needed to build my basic level of fitness back up to marathon ready. So I'm just doing a, a standard out-of-the-box routine or program right now to like run this marathon. But then afterwards, then I'm probably going to get a coach again once I'm at the level where I was before. So Nice. And then, and then after after we run our marathons, we should do Ironmans together. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like to bike or swim. Well, I don't know. I, I guess biking's okay, but I haven't really seriously biked or, or swim in a while. But I, I could possibly convince. How did your five k go? Went fine. Um, my arm only hurt a little bit. I, for those that don't know, we've we've had some conversations uh, on Entreprogrammers. I broke my arm, and 
falling off of a roof. But yeah, the 5K went fine. I, I kind of fast talked my doctor. Yeah. And then he sent me to a, a sports medicine specialist. And uh, that guy basically said, well, you can run. If it starts to hurt, quit running. <laughs> was his oh, advice. There you go. Yeah. So, so I, I felt a little bit better about that. But yeah. Was your time in the 5K? Uh, 44 minutes. Okay. Okay. So I was a little bit put out because um, I, I walked the last half mile. Uh-huh, and, yeah. And I should have just run it. I should have just pushed through and run it. So yeah, that's part of mental toughness, I think, is just figuring out, oh, I could have done better and then pushing through. And it's the same time giving yourself credit for, you know, getting a PR and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Well, now, you know, I mean, now yep. I'm sure your coach is able to set your pace a little bit better now based off of that. So Oh, yeah. She made my workouts harder. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. Good. Yeah, that's good. So you'll be ready for the for the marathon. Yep, in October. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I like some of the chit chat, but I don't want to bore people. So we'll wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week. All right. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. What?